Your experience at Joy Church will be unlike any church service you have ever attended before. We are not about religion. We are about a relationship with God the Father through His Son, Jesus Christ. At Joy Church, you'll hear live and vibrant praise and worship music. You will be loved and encouraged. You will be confident that your children will learn about Jesus in a fun and safe environment. You'll be assured that your youth will be loved and accepted not only for who they are, but challenged to become who they were created to be. At Joy Church, God's Word is delivered through creative, humorous, and relative teaching that will help you apply the Bible to your life. There is a place here at Joy Church just for you, where you can begin to develop a vibrant and exciting relationship with Jesus Christ and discover your divine destiny. Get ready as Pastor Jim teaches in his series, It Is What It Is, discovering the true character of God, because he is not a car-wrecking, cancer-causing creator, but a loving and life-giving Lord. And also know, if you're ever in our area, please come and be our special guest. You can go right to our website at joychurch.net for service times and events. We've been talking about it is what it is, and I love that. I know that's a cultural statement, but that really has nothing to do with what we're talking about today. Uh, discovering the true character of God. He is not a car-wrecking, cancer-causing creator, but he is a loving, life-giving Lord. So me and Anthony, we want to review very quickly. We'll do as best we can, but you know, when you're on a five-part series, you've got to review a little bit. And so we want you... How many know we learn by repetition? How many know we learn by repetition? How many know we learn by... You get it. So here we go. I want to share with you right off the bat our key verse one last time, Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 6. I love this. Without faith it is impossible to please God because he that comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. Everybody say, he is what he is. We've got to come to God and believe two things, that not only that he is, not that he was or will be, that he is, and that he is a rewarder. Everybody say, my God is a rewarder. Most of the body of Christ does not believe that. They believe that God is a taker. But your God is a rewarder for those that not casually but diligently seek him. We began to talk to you about how important it is to truly understand the true nature and character of God. And we began to share with you four very important things about that. We'll review that very quickly. Number one, how you view him will determine how you come to him. Number two, how you view him will determine how you treat others. How many know if you believe that God is mad at you, you're going to have a very difficult time treating others well? Third thing that you need to know is how you view him will determine your outlook on life. And then number four, how you view him will determine your destiny. Therefore, how we view the nature and character of God is clearly very important. We began to share with you over the last four weekends, uh, four different, or excuse me, 10 different considerations out of 11, 10 of 11. We got through 10. We get on 11 today uh, so that you can know his true character. Number one, we share with you, you cannot create God in your own image throughout this series. We have not created God in an American image or joy church image. How many know his image must be known through the word of the living God? And that's what we've been endeavoring to do. Number two, we've been talking about heaven, yes, hell, no. 
so important. There is a heaven to gain and a hell to shun. And the proverbial question is, why would a loving God send someone to hell? And I turn that around on you because I don't think that's really the question to ask. My question, I think it's a whole lot more important, is why won't you accept what a loving God did to keep you out of there? He did everything he could, sent his best, his one son, Jesus Christ, so that we don't have to go there. He went there so I don't have to, so you don't have to. Third thing that we talked about was sin ruins the view. So many times we don't understand the nature and character of God because it's skewed through the false view of sin. We talked to you about three areas that you can discover the nature of God so very clearly, and that's those, uh, the Garden of Eden before sin. Number two, the life of Jesus Christ. And then number three, heaven. And if you discern the nature and character of God through those three venues, you can see his character, nature, and will so much more clearly. Fourth thing that we begin to discuss is will the real God please stand up? If you look at the old covenant and if you look at the new covenant, there's quite a difference between how God deals with mankind. But there was a dividing line that we talked about. Me and Ward like this. How many know, ladies and gentlemen, that dividing line is the cross? God is a righteous God. He's a God of love, but he's a righteous God. And God cannot wink at sin. And in the old covenant, he had to deal very harshly with mankind because sin had not yet been dealt with. But God poured out his wrath on Jesus Christ on the cross and now, ladies and gentlemen, God is no longer mad at you. We live in a dispensation of grace, and aren't you glad? Fifth thing that we talked about, the weather outside is frightful. And you, you see so much of this calamity and tornadoes and hurricanes and on and on. And so many times people have thought of that as a judgment of God. But we found from Romans chapter 8 and we found from Matthew chapter 24 that we are simply living in a cursed world. And that's what you're seeing manifestations thereof. Sixth thing that we talked about is who's in charge here? We're honest and we say, okay, God is sovereign and he is sovereign. There's no question about it. But you must understand the biblical definition of sovereignty. Biblical definition of sovereignty is he is chiefest in rank and in authority. But I do want you to know that God in his sovereignty delegated authority to mankind through Adam. Adam, when he bowed his spiritual knee to the devil... It's as if God subleased the apartment complex. He owns it. He then subleased it to Adam. Adam, when he bowed his spiritual knee to the devil, then sub-subleased it to the devil. And while God still owns the apartment complex, how many know that he's not in charge of everything that goes on in every single unit? To say that God is sovereign is true, but you'd never want to take away from human responsibility. The Bible says, 2 Corinthians 4, 4, that the devil is the God of this world system. And therefore, there's a whole lot of stuff that occur in this world because you got a good God, but a bad devil and a cursed world and stupid people. Yeah, number six, we talked about that very thing. Stupid is, uh, is stupid does. And we talked about so much of what occurs in our life is not because of God, but because in James chapter 1, 13 through 17, our own lusts, ever say own lusts, our own lusts drag us away from God. 
And I want you to know that. How many know there are a lot of dumb things that occur not because of a loving God, but because of a stupid person? And if you don't believe that, check this out. Nashville, this is November 831. Papa Romeo approaching. We're leveling at 4,000 feet. Mayday! Mayday! OMG! My flight instructor just like had a heart attack and died. What do I need to do? Okay, ma'am, that'll be no problem. We can get you down. Uh, you'd be surprised how many times we've had to guide people in, okay? So I just need you to answer a couple questions for me. I need to know your height and your position. Well, I'm like 5'6", and I'm seated in the pilot's seat. Okay, ma'am. Repeat after me. Our Father, which art in heaven, Hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Oh, come on. My height and position. How many know there's some stupid people out there? So you understand stupid is as stupid does. That's good stuff. Come on, give our Acts of Joy team a big encouragement. <laughs> Number eight, check it out. Number eight, don't assign the blame. Get in the game. We saw that last time from John chapter 9, verses 1 through 4. You remember that? You remember when Jesus was with his disciples and they saw a blind guy and all of a sudden the disciples got very, very philosophical? Who did sin, this man or his parents? And remember Jesus said, neither, but I must work the works of God because it's yet day and there's a night coming when no man can work. And so I do want you to know, ladies and gentlemen, it's not just sin. Sin does open the door to the devil, but it may not be ours. It may simply be just Adam's sin. We do live in a cursed world. Remember the two life points that we talked to you about there, two fix-it fastest. Number one, the issue is not who's sin, but who can we serve. And then number two, don't point a finger, extend a healing hand. I watch so many people, and they're so philosophical, and they're so theological that they forget, come on, quit analyzing, and start helping people. You can't go in life from there. You must go in life from here. The tenth thing or the ninth thing that we begin to talk to you about is God wants you to live on easy street. And we saw from Proverbs chapter 13 and verse 15, the Bible says that the way of a sinner is hard. But Jesus said in Matthew eleven twenty eight 28 through 30, he said, My yoke is easy, my burden is light. Listen, in Christianity, I want you to know something. You're going to have to go all in. It will be sacrificial to you. It will cost you something. But in the long run, his yoke is easy and his burden is light. And I want you to know if your yoke is heavy and hard, you are doing it wrong. What I do and what you ought to do, and, and how many know there is a difference between someone who's saved and someone who is a disciple? I mean, if you're saved, you're on your way to heaven. God bless you. That's wonderful. But I know a lot of Christians that are on their way to heaven, but they're living hell on earth. Thank you for your enthusiasm. And God doesn't want you as a believer to live in hell on earth. 
He didn't come just so you go to heaven. John 10, 10, the Bible says he came to give you life and it more abundantly. But I can tell you right now, that abundant life is not just for people that are saved. That abundant life is for people who are disciples. And so I want you to know, if your life is heavy and hard, you're doing it wrong. There's something that you're missing. He wants your yoke to be easy, your burden to be light. What I do is sacrificial. What I do, I decided a long time ago, I'm going all in with Christianity. Before I got saved, man, I went all in for the devil. So I figured a long time ago, I'm going to go all in for God. It's sacrificial. It's cost me a whole lot. I've had to give up a whole lot, but I can tell you everything I've given up, I have gained so much more with the Lord. I love what I do. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. I got to tell you, I wouldn't do anything else. So many pastors, so many ministers, they don't like what they do. They can't wait to retire. I love what I do. You will have to drag me kicking and screaming out of this church. I love what I do. I love the people that I pastor. I happen to be married to somebody that I'm deeply in love with. You, you, you better clap for her because she's had to put up with me for 26 years. I'm deeply in love with this girl. Now, I'm telling you right now, I've had to invest. She's had to invest in her marriage. But I love this girl. I would rather spend time with her than anybody else in my life. I know some of you husbands can't even say that. You can't you can hardly stand your wife. I love my wife. I love my son. I, he's not a perfect son. He doesn't walk on water like your kid. But I love my son. I really do. I love my family. I am blessed. I love my family. I love my mom. My mom. Where's my mom? She's here somewhere. There's my mom. I love my mommy. My mommy goes to my church. And you got to know my mommy, she, she, she used to have to pray me out of all kinds of bars and all kinds of hell and all kinds of junk. And now I am her pastor. Only God. Only God. I love what I do. I love the people. I love my staff. Most, most pastors can't stand their staff. They're always fighting. I love my staff. They're the most loyal, wonderful men and women of God. Some of them have been with me for more than 25 years. Can you encourage them? I love my staff. I love the people that I pastor. We have so many wonderful people in this church. Oh, my gosh. And you, I, I know you want me to say your name, but I don't have time. I mean, I love the Downs. I love the McCroskeys. I, I, I don't have time to say all your names. I, lo I love Russ and Colleen. They've just been coming here for like four or five or six weeks, and Colleen, like two weeks. But I love Colleen. You don't even know who I'm talking about. But I know who I'm talking about. So I want you to know, I love what I do. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. When you enjoy what you do, you'll excel at it. How I many know when you see me preach, you, you ask yourself, is he working or is he playing? And that ha that's how your life ought to be. People don't know if you're working or you're playing. I, don't, I didn't tell you that. Listen, I didn't tell you that I, that I was careless. I just told you I was carefree. I'm one of the most responsible men you're ever going to meet on this planet. But I'm going to tell you right now, I'm carefree. I decided a long time ago, I'm going to enjoy my life whether you people amen me or not. 
Number 10, check it out. God is not mad at you, as we discussed before. God is madly in love with you. That catches us up to date. How many are ready for new territory? Now, if you're paying any attention to know Lynn and Ronnie were, if you're paying any attention, you know we only got 11, so we got one today. But how many know I can milk one? So here we go. Number 11, check it out. New territory. Finally, new territory. How does God respond to me after I've sinned? Now, we got to know the answer to that question because if we don't, we're not going to know the true nature and character of God. And don't you look at me that holy. How many in this house would be honest with this pastor and say, even after you've got born again, that you've sinned? Uh, okay, let, let, let's see how long ago. Well, how many have sinned over the last year, last month, last week, last day, last hour? <laughs> oh, man, last minute. How many didn't raise your hand right there? And so that's it. That was your sin right there. We have all, since we've given our life to Jesus Christ, have messed up. Isn't that true? So we need to know, how does God respond to me after I've sinned? If we have the answer to that question, we can know his true nature and character of God. And then after we've sinned, we won't run from him. We'll run to him. I got a son. I got one son. And I'm going to tell you, after he messes up, I do not want him running from me. Because how many know when you run, it compounds? I want him running to me. So we're going to take a look at some truths from the prodigal son today, and we're going to go through all of these verses. How, how many know Bible hopping is better than bar hopping? We're going to look at the prodigal son, and before we jump into the prodigal son, I want you to see something because I think this person kind of misunderstood the prodigal son. Check it out. So about being a good sport, because it's not about whether you win or lose. Yes, Johnny, did you have something to add? Yes, ma'am, I do. The Bible is all about sports, especially baseball. Well, that's sweet, but I don't think it's altogether true, Johnny. Yes, ma'am, it is. In the big inning, Eve stole first, Adam stole second, and later the prodigal son ran for home. prodigal son ran from home. Okay, so here we go. Enough corn. Let's jump into the Bible, Luke chapter 15, and we're going to look at verse 11. We're going to run through all these verses in the prodigal son. You're going to see so much wisdom today. This is going to help you understand that question. How does God respond to me after I've sinned? And there are a lot of really good biblical balances within this uh, chapter, and you're going to learn a lot. We're going to grow together. Are you ready? Verse 11, and he said, a certain man had two sons. And verse 12, the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me. Ever say, give me. Listen to me very, very closely as we walk through these verses today. Do not be a taker. This guy was a taker. Give me. Man, how many know Joy Church needs to be full of givers? I watch a lot of people, and he had inheritance coming to him. But how many know he was not ready for that inheritance? How many understand that when you gain prosperity, and how many know God does want to prosper you? 
You may not recognize that. God does want to prosper. And a lot of people listen to me. Prosperity does not create character. Prosperity reveals character. And we're going to find that this prodigal son's character was quite revealed. Give me. Everybody say, give me. Give me the portion of goods that falls to me. And watch this. And he divided unto them. We just think that the prodigal son got his inheritance. But both kids did. He divided unto them his living. Verse 13. And not many days after, the younger son gathered all together and took his journey into a far country. Ever say a far country? Now, at the time in which this was written, the far country, listen to me now, was the Gadarenes. Do you remember the Gadarenes? From Mark chapter 5, you remember the madman of Gadara? He was from the Gadarenes. Get this. He was a Gadarene. He was from Gadara. Do you remember the madman of Gadara? And you remember that he had all of those demons? And do you remember, ladies and gentlemen, when Jesus cast those demons out of him, they went into the pigs? Now, that's going to come in real handy in this story because he went into the far country. That ought to give you an idea of the Gadarenes. It was one of the worst sinful areas you can imagine. In the Greek text, it was Las Vegas. And there wasted his substance on riotous living. Now, doesn't riotous living, doesn't that sound pretty cute? You know, riotous living. You know, that really doesn't sound that all that bad. But if you look at verse 32, and now listen, now, if, if you're a real churchy person, you're not going to like me right about now. But if you're a Bible person, you're going to like what I'm about to say because this is all Bible. Riotous living, let me tell you what he did. He spent his money on hookers. You could tell, you hear the church people go, oh, I never. Well, I, we can tell. <laughs> Guys, I'm not telling you anything that the Bible is not telling you. Riotous living, you're going to find later on in this chapter that that's what he spent his money on, hookers. So Las Vegas was not too far off the map, was it? Look here now, watch this now. And when he had spent all... There arose a mighty famine in the land, and he began to be in one. Isn't that the perfect storm of a mess? Now he spent all of his money, and at the same time, a recession hits the land. Perfect storm for a major mess. Now, now, now watch this now. And he began to be in one. In verse 15, and he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country. Now, how many know... He's going to the world system to meet his needs. And now he's making mistake number two. He's going to the people of that world system. And how many know the Bible says, Proverbs 13 and verse 20, if you hang around wise people, you'll be wise. But if you hang around foolish people, the companion of fools shall be destroyed. It didn't even say that if you hang around fools, you'll be foolish. It didn't say that the fool would be destroyed. It said that the companion of the fool would be destroyed. The devil, as I've shared with you before, wants to keep the fool alive so he can destroy more, more companions. Notice here, and he joined himself to a citizen of that country, and he sent him into the fields to feed swine. 
and he would fain have filled his belly with the husk that the swine did eat, but no man gave him. He was so hungry that he would have ate what the pigs were getting, but no man would even give him that. Now, let me give you a couple of life points because this is really important that you need to know this. Check it out. Life point number one. If you don't listen to your father, you'll listen to a pig. Turn to your neighbor and say, what's he talking about? Now, listen to me very closely. How many know, ladies and gentlemen, God's best is to teach you through his word? If I, if I tell my son, I've got a son, I say, now, son, that's a hot stove. Don't touch that hot stove. How many know that's my will? My word is my will. I don't want him to touch that hot stove. But if I walk upstairs and he touches it anyway, I want you to know that is a consequence of his action. That's not my will for him. My will for him was expressed simply by my words. But yet, he did something that I told him not to do, and it was a consequence of his action. How many know, ladies and gentlemen, we ought to listen to our Heavenly Father? We ought to listen to our Heavenly Father. But if we do not, there is a pig waiting for us, and the pig is representative of consequences. Listen, God is a good God, and he is a God of grace, and he is a God of mercy. But please do know that does not erase the sowing and reaping principle. Thank you for your uh, major, major, major quietness there. That was a blessing. It does not erase the sowing and re reaping principle. There are still consequences out there waiting for us. Listen, you know my story. I try to tell it to you all the time in a very open and transparent way. I did not give my life to Jesus until I was 20 years of age. When I was 20, I was an alcoholic checking IDs at a bar. How many know that's not a good combination? I started drinking alcohol when I was 15 years of age. And when I started drinking alcohol, nothing happened to me immediately. When I started drinking alcohol, it was fun initially. And a lot of times we lie to our kids and we lie to the people that we want to help. Our heart is good. And we say, now, if you sin, it's not going to be any fun. But I want you to know that's not what the Bible teaches us. The Bible teaches us in Hebrews chapter 11 that sin is fun for a season. But how many know when that season is over, there's a pig waiting for you? Isn't that true? And I do want you to understand something very, very, very clearly. Man, when I started drinking at 15, I was having a blast. I mean, I was having fun. But then after a while, when that season was over, and I began to bleed 20 times a day, up to 20 times a day, I would lose blood. You don't want to know where from because of my alcohol consumption. How many know the season of fun was over? And how many know that there was a pig waiting on me? Now, I'm very open. I don't have to tell you those kind of things, but I'm trying to help you. Listen, I, I, was, I went through a very horrific time in my life. I almost died. I had lost so much blood because of all the alcohol consumption, but I was losing it slowly over a very slow period of time. 
And I remember one time after a while, and I, you know, at the time I was lifting weights. I was uh, very large and very strong. But I noticed that towards the end of some of my reps, and I was just 20 years old, I noticed towards the end of some of my reps, I would start getting winded. And I couldn't figure out why. And so finally, I remember one day, all of a sudden, the eyes, my eyes rolled back in my head and I started convulsing. And I, and I could tell my life was slipping away. And I was convulsing very, very hard. And I was thankful that I came back and I stopped convulsing. And that was the thing that scared me enough that I said, I need to go to the doctor. So I talked to my mom. I said, we got, we got to go to the doctor. And he diagnosed me and I told him what was going on. He, and he took my hemoglobin count and he said, son, he said, if you would have lost this much blood in a car wreck, he said, you'd legally be in shock. But because your body has adjusted over all this period of time, because you've lost that blood so slowly, he said, that's why you're not in shock. Your body, when you convulse, was starting to go in shock. So I needed a colonoscopy at the time, and I want you to know, this was in a time, this was many, many moons ago. Right now, uh, medical science has uh, really, really made some great advances. The time I got a colonoscopy, they used to use a telephone pole. <laughs> I mean, you know, this is going to go all over the world on the Internet. All. It's a tweetable moment if I ever saw one. And I wish I was joking, but I'm not. And I'm very open and transparent, and some of you holy people can't, help, uh, can't take it. But I do want you to know, if you don't listen to your father, there's a pig waiting on you. He's a good God. Why not listen to your dad? And young people, i got so many millennials in here, so many young people in here. Please, uh, let, let me be a representative of the Heavenly Father just for a moment. Sin is fun for a while. But when that while is over, there's a pig waiting on you. Second life point that you need to know and understand, sin will take you farther than you want to go, keep you longer than you want to stay, and always cost more than you want to pay. Let's continue on because there's good news on the horizon. Next verse. Today. <laughs> and when he had came to himself, how many know consequences will cause us to come to ourselves? When I started convulsing because of all that blood loss, man, I'm so glad that I came to myself and I'm so glad that I turned my life over to Jesus Christ. If you ever see somebody that's in the throngs of sin, man, that you won't recognize them. If you, I know a lot of folks that they walk with God for a period of time and then they walked away from God. They, get caught, they got caught up in sin or whatever. And if you've seen somebody like that, you don't recognize them. I, I had an associate pastor, a friend of mine, that was when I was a young believer that really was a mentor of mine and, and really invested in my life in a very big way. But he got caught up in sin. And he got caught up in adultery and walked away from God. And I remember seeing him after a period of years. And, man, I didn't even recognize him. And I don't mean physically. He just was a totally different person. Because Hebrews chapter 3 and verse 13, the Bible talks about how sin deceives. But I know that. And see, here's his prodigal son. And he was with his father and in the father's house. But he went away. And he, and he, and he got into all of this mess. And he hooked up with all the wrong people. And now consequences had kicked in. And he came 
to himself. And I love that. How many know, ladies and gentlemen, when consequences teach us, we can come to ourselves, 1 John 1 and verse 9, and say, Father, I have sinned. I confess my sin. Forgive me and cleanse me from all unrighteousness. And how many know we can come to ourselves? And he said, how many hired servants of my father's have bread enough to spare and I perish with hunger? I will arise. I'll go to my father and I will say, Dad, I've sinned against heaven before thee. And I love that. He's confessing his sin. He's, conf he's saying, 1 John 1, 9, Father, forgive me, cleanse me. And notice the response. Look at the next verse. And am no more worthy to be called thy son. Make me as one of thy hired servants. Isn't that the response that we have as believers after we've sinned? I'm no more worthy. Some of you are here today, listen to me closely. Some of you have walked away from God, and I know that by the Spirit of God, and you came in during praise, and, and, and they're praising, and you enjoyed the music, but you didn't really want to sing. You didn't really even want to lift your hands. You didn't want to clap because you have that mindset. I'm no more worthy. But listen to me closely. When I come to church, I clap, I lift my hands, I sing, I praise, but I never do it based on my performance. You shouldn't either. You better be praising God based on his performance. Because how worthy do you have to be to come into the presence of God? You have to have a perfect record, and nobody, including this guy, qualifies. So you better be praising God on his performance, not yours. Stop that. See, when we sin, that's our response. I'm no more worthy. We lower our head. We don't want to praise God. We don't even like coming to church. I'm no more worthy. Listen to me very, very closely. This man's sin did not stop him from being a son. It just caused him to live like a servant. And he arose and came to his father. But when he was a great way off, you ever feel that way? You're, you're making the right step, but you still feel like you're a great way off? I mean, you say, okay, God, I'm, I, I, I'm coming to you. I, 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 forgive me, Father, for, but I, I still know I'm a long way off. That's okay. Right. Just keep taking the next step. Boy, if you all are quiet on Saturday, it's going to be awful on Sunday. Here we go. Check it out. And his father saw him. I love this. He made one step towards God. And his father saw him. That means his father was watching. Amen. His father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. Can anybody see the true nature of God after we've sinned? Look at verse 21. And the son said unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven, and in thy sight I am no more worthy to be called thy son. 
And listen to this life point. You need to know this. I, I've said this before, but it's so true and so powerful. Here's the nature of your God. Life point, please. Your God is a watching, loving, running, hugging, and kissing God. Leave that life point up, please. Say it with me. Say, my God is a watching, loving, running, hugging, kissing God. Now, listen, some of you, your, have, your natural father doesn't look, keep that light point up now. Some of you, your natural father doesn't act at all like that. And so you're have a, having a struggle relating to that. Can you put that light point back up, please? Some of you are struggling with that because that's your, your natural dad. He's not anywhere near that. He's never told you he loves you. He never told you he believes in you. He's never hugged you. He's never kissed you. And so your whole relationship with your heavenly father is struggling because that's your natural figure. That's the example that you grew up with. I want you to revamp your idea of God. Because your heavenly father is a watching, loving, running, hugging, and kissing God. He's trying to catch you doing something right. All you do is take one step and you're still a great way off, but here he comes. Here he comes, just puts his arm around you. I love you, John. I, I believe in you. I, you're a man of God. Don't make me kiss you. He's a police officer. He'll shoot me right here where I stand. Is anybody out there? Can you see the nature and character of God? I better move on. i got so much to say. Now let's go back to the verses. Oh, for the love of God, go back to the verses. But the father, watch this now, watch his response, said to his servants, bring forth the best robe. Now wait a minute now. now let, come on now, don't, don't get churchy with me now. This guy spent his inheritance on hookers. And he said, bring forth the leisure suit from the 70s. <laughs> what did he say? Best robe. Now, the best robe at the time in which it was written was called the garment of change, literally called the garment of change. It was a luxurious robe that some of the wealthier people had, and they would use this for any sort of an occasion like a marriage that was signifying a change from being single to a change to being married. And they would put this on. It was the best, very, very expensive robe, and it was reserved for only the best occasions, only celebratory occasions put on the best robe. And notice here, put it on him and put a ring on his hand. Now, I want you to get a hold of this, too, because this was a signet ring. I don't know if you know what a signet ring was, but at the time in which this was written, it would have an, an indented insignia in a ring, and only kings would have them. And what they would do is they would take hot wax and they would pour that in the indented part of the insignia, insignia ring. And then the king would take his ring and place that hot wax on an envelope and would seal an envelope. And whenever you saw that envelope that was sealed in that way, you would know that this is the property of the king and that everything that is in this belongs to the king. It was a sign of dignity and authority. 
So he's saying, all right, put on the best robe, the luxurious robe of change. He's gone from this sin to God. He's repented. And now I want you to understand, son, I am reinstating your authority. You are property of the king. You can now use the name of Jesus Christ with all authority. And shoes on his feet in a time in which this was written whenever there was a time of mourning, not the A-M, but M-O-U-R, time of mourning, they would take off their shoes. But when it was a time of celebration, they would put them on. And so he is saying, put on the shoes of peace from Ephesians chapter 6. Next verse. And bring hither the fatted calf and kill us. Kill it and let us eat and be merry. The fatted calf, notice everybody say thee. The fatted calf. Every household at the time had one prized calf that was in a stall that was grain fed, that was well taken care of. It was one calf and one calf only, and it was the most expensive. He's saying, kill it. Let's eat. For this my son was merry. This my son was dead. And is alive again. My son being married, that's transgender. You don't want to, you know, you, you have to go to Target to understand that. <laughs> For this, my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found, and they began to be married. Verse 25. Now his elder son was in the field. And as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. Now, I love this. Here's the elder son, and here, here's there's a party going on at the father's house. And watch this. And he called one of the servants, and he said, what, these things, what do these things mean? Next verse. And he said unto him, thy brothers come, and thy fathers killed the fatted calf, and because he received him safe and sound. And he was angry. And would not go in. Therefore came his father out and entreated him. Now listen to me very closely. I've seen this over and over and over again. People in their self-righteousness become very angry. And they hear the party going on. Listen to me very closely. And would not go in. How many know, ladies and gentlemen, we need to rejoice when people turn from their sin and come back to God. And not be angry. I've seen that so many times. I, I, I watch that occur. I watch people that have been believers for a long period of time. And I watch people, they, they, they repent and, and, they, and they know they were living out in the world and they had all kinds of lousy consequences. And they come back to God and, and then they start getting things right and they start believing God and God, God starts to bless them. And I watch people that have been saved for 30 years and they've lived a relatively holy life and, 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 and they're believing God for something and something does not occur in their life, but they watch it occur in this person's life and they get all self-righteous. And they think, well, I don't understand it. I believe God for healing, and I haven't received my healing yet. And, and this guy, he's been out here messing around in consequences, and he comes to the healing meeting in November that you hold every year, and I watched him get healed, and, and yet I'm still dealing with this sickness. What is going on here? 
I'm, the, I'm one of the most spiritual people in the church. I've been faithful for 30 years. I'm an elder. I, I'm working with the kids. I'm working with the nursery. I'm a tither. I don't understand why I haven't got healed. You just told me why you did not get healed because you're basing it on your righteousness. And you will never receive anything from God based on your righteousness. He received it because he based it on his righteousness. And I know that's so hard for us to understand. And I commend you for your holiness. I commend you for your faithfulness. But anytime you go to God, you never go to him and receive based on your accomplishments. You go to God and receive based on his. He was angry, would not go in. Therefore, this father came out and entreated him. Next verse. And he answering, he said to his father, Lo, these many years do I serve thee. Everybody say I. I. Neither transgressed I. Everybody say I. At, at any time, thy commandments. Boy, this guy was a goody two-shoe. And yet thou never gavest me, ever say me, a kid that I might make merry with my friends. Ever say my. Would you look at this for just a minute? I, I, me, I. Would you say that with me? Say I, I, me, I. Say I, I, me, I. I'm sorry, that, that just seemed like a salsa dance to me. <laughs> I, I, me, I. Everybody say, I, I, me, I. This elder son, who is so self-righteous, is a poster boy for one of the most self-centered, bad-attituded people in the Bible. Very outwardly moral, but inwardly, what a self-centered turkey he was. Why can't you rejoice? This is your brother, man. Next verse. But as soon as this thy son was come, which hath devoured thy living with harlots. Boy, don't you know he had a real easy time pointing that out? Harlots. Don't you imagine how he said it? Harlots. Thou hast killed for him the fatted calf. And he said unto him, Son, thou art ever with me. All that I have is thine. Can I paraphrase that in everyday language? Son, James chapter 4, verse 2. You have not because you ask not. The reason you never got any of that stuff is because you're basing it on your self-righteousness. It's always yours. All you had to do was ask Dad. Last verse. And it was meet that we should make merry and be glad, for this thy brother was dead and is alive again, was lost and now found. Can you see the balance? There's no question about it. Sin has consequences. Sin will cost you more than you want to pay. It'll keep you longer than you want to stay. You need to know that. It has consequences. God's love for me does not erase consequences or the sowing and reaping process. 
But you do need to know the heart and nature of God after you sin and come to yourself and confess it before God because he's a good God. Let me give you six prodigal principles and we'll be done. I'll go through them very quickly. Number one, it's not what you do when you sin that counts. It's what you do after you sin that counts. How many understand that? Second thing goes hand in hand. Check it out. Don't run from God. Run to him. When I sin, when you sin, yeah, okay, we sin, we've blown it. It's not what you did, but it's what you do after you sin that counts. Because we always get in difficulty when we try to cover it up. Proverbs 28 and verse 13, the Bible says, if you confess and forsake your sin, you'll find mercy. Don't you love finding something good? But if you cover your sin, the Bible says, you will not prosper. When I cover is when things end up a mess. When I say, okay, I confess it and forsake it, I find something good. My son, uh, he, he was walking with his mom on the beach one day. It was a couple of years ago, a number of years ago. Maybe he's eight or nine years old. And there, there, it was low tide. And now there were tidal pools left. And all of a sudden, my son saw a piece of paper floating in one of the tidal pools. And he ran over there and he thought, well, let me check it out. And it was a $20 bill. How many know when you're an eight-year-old kid and you find a $20 bill, happy days are here again? How many know when you're a 54-year-old kid and you find a $20 bill floating in a tidal pool, happy days are here again? That's a good find. He was not expecting that at all. When you confess and, conf and forsake your sin, you find mercy. But when we cover it, we don't prosper. Run to God. Don't run from him. Because the third thing goes hand in hand. Check it out. When you confess it is not when he found out about it. When I mess up, when you mess up and, and we run to him and we confess it, and, and, you know, sometimes we take three, four years to confess it. Took this prodigal son quite some time. How do we know when you confess it is not when he found out about it? You did what? With harlots? How many know the Bible says, Hebrews 4 and 13, everything is open and naked to God. He sees it all. Fourth thing that we need to know as a prodigal, admit it, quit it, and forget it. Say it with me. Say admit it, admit it. quit it, admit and then forget it. Admit Come on, say it like you mean it. Admit it, admit quit it, admit then forget it. Fourth thing you got to know. Fifth thing you got to know. Don't nurse it. And I don't, I got a nurse right there, so I apologize. Don't nurse it or rehearse it, but disperse it. What do you mean nurse it and rehearse it? Listen, nurse it and rehearse it is when you've confessed it and forsaken it, and now you're still dwelling on past sin. If you've confessed it and forsaken it, and you're still dwelling on it over and over and over again in your mind, I'm nursing it and rehearsing it. Oh, I'm so unworthy. Oh, I'm not worthy to be called your son. Oh, make me one of your servants. Stop that nonsense. Listen to me. What, you, what, what, what am I doing, Pastor? Listen, watch this now. You are trying to have your guilt pay for your sin. And your guilt cannot pay for your sin. The only thing that can pay for your sin or mine was the precious blood of Jesus Christ. Your guilt will not pay for your sin. 
And when you do that, you're spending more time with your sin than you are with your savior. Savior. You're spending more time with your mess than you are you with your Messiah. If you've confessed it and forsaken it, admit it, quit it, then forget it. Don't nurse it. Don't rehearse it. Disperse it. How do I disperse it? First John 1, 9. I confess my sin. The word confess is a Greek word, homo legeo. Homo, same legeo, word, to say the same word as God. If God says it is a sin, I don't care who's doing it, who's not doing it. Homo legeo. I say the same thing as you, God. I confess it. It's a sin. I repent of it. I turn from it. Now, Father, I receive your forgiveness and cleansing from all unrighteousness. And then the sixth thing, learn from it. Laugh at it. Let it go. Say it with me. Come on. Let it just burn in your spirit. Learn from it. Laugh at it. Let it go. Learn from it. Laugh at it. Let it go. Now listen to me. Please do learn from it. If this is your 40th time around the same mountain, at some point, you got to stop the hobby and come around the mountain. You come, you know. You, at some point, you got to learn something from it. And when you do, be secure. But I tell, you, I tell you so many stories. I told you about my colonoscopy today. <laughs> do you know how secure you have to be to do what I do in front of 2,000 folks here and then tens and hundreds of thousands of folks over the Internet telling them about the telephone pole colonoscopy? You've got to learn how to laugh at it. See, when you're secure, you can laugh at it. If it still stings, no, too soon, too soon, too soon. Learn from it. Laugh at it. Let it go. The Bible says, Hebrews chapter 8, verse 12, the Bible says, God remembers our sins no more. It is not in good taste to bring up to God something that he has chosen to forget. Yeah, but God, you know what I did. Yeah, he knows what you did. But you confessed it and forsaken it. And he has chosen to forget. He remembers your sin no more. Now, please don't mistake me. Grace is not the power of God to overlook sin. But grace is the power of God to overcome sin. And you need to know the nature and character of God after you have sinned. Because when you know his nature and character, then you won't run from him. You'll run to him and receive his grace and mercy. Can we give him thanks today?